there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm your new old host, Tyler Cole, joined today by Danny Gomez. Danny, what's up? Happy to be back with you. How's it going? Thanks for having me back on Quick Flip. (laughs) It's fun to be doing this again. I know it's been a few months since I've been in the seat, and I've definitely missed working with you and engaging with all the guests. Um, With a couple of recent changes on both of our ends, I think it's important. Let's set the stage for the listeners, where we are, where we're going. And then I just would love to riff with you on uh, what we've learned over the last year or so of doing this show. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah, it's. um, I've moved on to... I went back to um, an old position I had um, at a company called Nodal Exchange. Um, I'm personally, I think that the time I've spent in supply chain and transportation with freight waves has been hugely educating. I think the whole world was getting educated on how integral and critical supply chains are to our everyday lives. I, from a sustainability perspective, which was the lens I was coming at it from, um, really just got to appreciate um the position that supply chain is in to make a really important difference. And so, you know, the time that I spent with you at FreightWaves researching on where the market was at, what could be done, what does the future look like, um, was really just a super interesting um, mental thought exercise that we went through. Um, and I think hopefully we came out of it with some some insight um, that we've hopefully shared through this show and with, you know, with the direct partners that we had while at FreightWaves. And so um, I'm happy to be here. I'm here on a personal note. So these are um, my thoughts and my, um, my ideas and, and my perspective, not, not that of uh, no exchange where I work now, but super excited to jump in. Love the disclaimer. We're all about that on any sort of ESG show today, <laughs> making sure you have appropriate disclaimers. So Uh, No, I love that. And I'm happy for you. That's going to be a really fun position. I know we'll continue to stay in touch. There's some fun opportunities when we think about markets and, uh, you know, things that you and I geek out about all the time, hedging risk and market volatility and ways that we can bring the transportation sector along into that uh, future. But I will miss you because it was fun having these conversations. And as you said, getting to learn in public and be um, not necessarily like a thought leader, but gathering experts, right? And having, I think you bring this as well, something that I try to strive for is being very humble in this space. Because if there's one thing that we know, and that I've learned, it's, you know, if you're just a hardliner, doomsdayer or denier, that doesn't serve any purpose in this conversation, other than hopefully inciting some bit of outrage where people can dive deeper. And that's what I want this show to be kind of moving forward is how do we create space for people to explore ways to create lasting impact that are good for both, you know, profits and bottom line for businesses while also doing good for planet. That's with the other lens, obviously, on sustainable supply chains, freight, fuel and energy. That's kind of the world that I get to choose to live in. But uh, it's been fun to, to run that that uh, race with you for the last year. And I'll definitely miss having you around. But we'll bring you back and see what you're learning on the other side of the fence back in the power markets. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, it was interesting. The last episode that I read, uh, one of the last episodes of recorders with Link Logistics, um, Sam Stockdale. And, you know, the way that he talked about their approach to sustainability um, was one, I think that is just, you know, how we should approach life in general, right? Like they, they're basically saying, look, we're, we're going to work on ourselves first because that's where the work needs to start. 
Um, and then in doing that work, we're going to obviously learn more. We can help extend those lessons learned and push it further out into kind of the ripple effect out to our customers and the people who are, are leasing the buildings from them. Um, which I think is a really important thing that, you know, we said a lot often at the beginning, but I think in a little bit of a different way. We said measure, 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 measure first, measure first, measure first, which is true. And it's part of like do the work on yourself first. Um, but I think stating it in a way um, that isn't just about measure, right? It's, it's a holistic approach to looking inwardly to start um, and then to understand like how, how you know, your suppliers um, should also be, you know, doing the same things. And it's interesting, right? Like as, as, um, as the market moves forward and there's a lot of pressure to, to be forward with statements about goals and be very public about those statements. Um, there's a temptation to say this, to, to say the thing without doing the homework. And so I think, you know, when you and I were talking about, you know, what have we learned? That is, I think one really upfront important lesson is, you know, really that like the inward, the inward work first um, that hopefully we're all doing, you know, in our personal lives as well. Um, because it's really hard to start to point fingers when you haven't yet done the work on yourself and you, you lose a little bit of credibility. So I think that's one big takeaway that I've I had over the past year. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on what you think. Yeah, I mean, we've gone through, you know, quite a journey over the last year from thinking we were just going to launch an offset market <laughs> early on to really doing the homework, stepping back, asking the market, where are you in your journey towards sustainability? Really the freight market, Brokers, shippers, carriers, fleets, all modes, um, most geographies, probably mostly Western U.S. And, and European markets for the most part is our coverage. But um, I think we were surprised at how um, far apart some of the participants were in the market, right? By and large, there are leaders who are blazing a trail for others and trying to move standards and methodologies towards some um uniformity, right, that can cascade down through supply chains. But we know that this is a fragmented space. We know that um, everybody's out for their own. It's a margin compressed space that it's very volatile at times, depending on what's happening. Um, and so we've seen the most discouraging thing I've seen is that even though we know it's important, it's not in the top three things that people care about in this space, whether you're a fleet, a freight buyer, or a broker, like it's just not. And that's got to change before we see some serious impact. And, and you said something there that I thought was interesting that I would kind of push back on. It's like, and I've said this, I'm, I'm hypocritical in this myself. Like you draw a circle around yourself, you change everything inside of it. Right. But I don't know my personal footprint, right? Like I've gone to my utility and said, I want the green plus option. So I at least feel confident that somebody's out there buying wind and solar and it costs me 20 bucks a month. Right. It's not that big of a deal, but until we see, those issues as a top three issue for supply chains, I don't think we're going to see meaningful change. And that, not to be a downer kind of early in the conversation, maybe we'll swing it back around and have a positive uptick before we leave. But that was that was one of my big takeaways. And it was honestly kind of discouraging. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the, the fragmented, uh, the fragmented industry, um, not only just like you, you, you sub-segmented out, right? And you, you think about surface transportation, North America, that itself is very fragmented. Then you think about supply chain in general, that is fragmented across many modes, many geographies. Um, and what you said about a lot of people trying to put together standards in different bodies and different groups. We had our own um, working group at Freightways when, when we were there. Um, 
it's good, right? That's a good signal that people are paying attention and people are interested. Uh, but then it's also hard to corral all these different ideas and um, create kind of a, you know, a, a concert approach to, to solving these problems, which I don't know, to, you know, hopefully it's early days, right? Um, and there's still a lot of um, consolidation to happen in terms of like how we solve the problems. I think what you said something about like the personal versus the work, right? And, it, and it's true, right? I don't do anything in my personal life. I have ambitions to do things in my personal life in terms of, you know, solar or, you know, an EV car, but there's certain barriers to being able to do that. Um, I am trying to be more intentional when I go out and purchase things and think about the world. I think it, it, to me, it's again, this, this, this journey, right? There's like not a flip of a switch and it's true also for the market, right? There's no flip of the switch where you can say, okay, we want to be a sustainable transportation company. There's all these tools already in place in the market. We just have to go, you know, convert, right? Um, it is one understanding like what the problem is, how it fits in the organization, and then figuring out what tools are available, which aren't many, right? Um, and on that note, that is where it feels super early, right? There's these early adopters who are just really starting to, to work through and understand what, what it looks like to have a dedicated EV route from LA to Seattle or whatever the case is, right? Um, but those things aren't scalable, Right. Um, and so I'm super interested because of my market's background is how do and we heard this in surveying stakeholders. There is no price incentive yet to be sustainable. Like when does the market start to price in or give a price signal to suppliers to let them understand what is like what kind of what kind of returns can they get for the investments they make in sustainability? in sustainability, right? In terms of reducing, reducing emissions or switching over to more expensive um, alternative fuel types. Like I'm curious, like in the crystal ball, in Tyler's crystal ball, where, how far away are we from that? And is the market headed in that direction or is it still just way too early? I liken it to, to, uh, it's like we have this image of a field, right? And we're frustrated because it's not moving fast enough. But we've got the seeds in the ground and we're starting to water and we're seeing sprouts. But until you walk away and come back a few months later, you're not going to be impressed by the progress, right? So because we are laser focused on this, it can be really frustrating. But I will tell you, it's also really encouraging to see how many people are starting to laser focus on it. Even though it's not a one, two or three like top OKR or delivery metric for a lot of firms, it's starting to to hit a tipping point and an inflection point where buyers are saying we need this because all the things you and I have explored, it's not just about doing good or lowering our emissions. It's about employee retention and younger employees want to work for companies that have purpose-driven mission statements and are making impact. You're not going to be able to hire the next generation unless you're doing that. And that's true if you're hiring truck drivers, putting them in an EV, or that's true if you're a large shipping company that's got a good you're trying to send all over the world. Employees care about this. I'll give you an example. I'm and I'm in New York. You can see I'm not in my home office. I'm in a hotel today at Climate Week, and I was at a sustainable freight buyers or air freight uh, sustainable aviation fuel conference last night, and the room was packed, standing room only, a hundred plus people, all from different companies. Whether you're a producer, whether you're a buyer, whether you're just a corporate trying to start your journey, everybody's putting their hand in there, sending the demand signal, saying we want to buy this product, and that's amazing and it's super encouraging. But to your question. We need more of that across different reduction activities, right? We need people who are doing, getting rooms of people together that say, we want to 
make sure that our local community doesn't have water issues? How do we start to engage business and all the different stakeholders to make sure that happens? And we're starting to see it. So I was discouraged earlier along our journey, and it's easy to do that, but you have to balance it with there is burgeoning optimism because there's so much money flowing into this space. And if we just go back to that field example for a second, like you've got the seeds in the ground. We've had lots of failed crops or harvests before because we didn't have all the right ingredients, the right soil, enough water, enough sunlight. Now with you know government incentives, financial impetus, ESG investing, employees demanding this, customers demanding this, you've got so many pressures making companies start to rethink the way they're operating that I'm hopeful that the, the growing conditions are right for a lot of these solutions that just haven't been able to scale in the past. I don't know if that's a helpful analogy to think through it. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and you're right. It, timing is a big, big deal, right? Um, and you think about the safety environmental carbon credits, which can be debated, but um, those have been around for a long time, right? There's people who've been, you know, who've been sitting and waiting for the right set of conditions to, to, to be in place for those to take off. We've seen them take off. And if that's a signal of people's of, of corporate's desire to be more sustainable. That's great. Also, you know, just the criticism of that is that people are using that as an easy button, right? Which I think is true in some cases, not in all. Um, and, you know, I think through the show over the, the, the time that um, I was involved, one of the things I wanted that one, I was just learning my, on um, you know, my learning, and hopefully bringing people along on that journey. And hopefully they were learning things that they thought were interesting. What I, what I was continuing to do and still will continue to do is just understand the problem better, right? Um, we did a show on regenerative agriculture, which a friend of ours and employee of Freight Waves helped with, Jake um, Oga. And that really was um, a, big, you know, a big period for me, a big learning experience for me and thinking about like, okay, I've been so focused on tailpipe emissions. I haven't really stepped back and looked at the larger picture of what are we doing on agriculture? How does that have a, um, a, a place in all of this? How does, um, how, how is, you know, um, the, the replanting of trees really impacting what's going on? What are these environment, environmental um, projects, the voluntary carbon um, credit projects doing? How are they, how are they feeding into all of this? I initially had a pretty um, negative view on, carbon credits because it seemed like it was a scapegoat for a lot of people. But in understanding how far we are away from these very large scalable problems, understanding that these can serve a very good as part of a as part of a toolkit, serve a purpose in helping companies engage with um with this market and also engage with the problem um soon, I think is helpful, right? Um and so, you know, part of what I came to realize also is that, you know, it's easy to be, you know, a hundred percent hydrogen, a hundred percent EV, a hundred percent e-fuels, right? There's a lot of those um, diehard folks that are ready to, ready to champion their, pro- their, their solution and really quick to, um, to discount others, right? Like, you know, Mike Bowden will put something on LinkedIn and he has a litany of people of saying like, no, 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 no. Hydrogen is not the answer. And he's got a lot of good responses to them. Um, uh, and so it's, it's interesting to see that they're, I don't know that, look, there's, there's so much interconnectedness. Um, you know, a lot of the things that Convoy would bring up is, 
you know, understanding how certain projects impact um, communities, right? Like there is a lot of, there's a lot of nuances to all of this, right? Like if, if we over the night were to switch to 100% EV, what does that mean for the generation um, capacity and the reliability of the systems? And, you know, there, it's not, there's a lot to solve for, right? And so, um, you know, hopefully through the show, people get a taste of what what's happening, or at least hopefully historically, um, got a taste of what was happening and started to, you know, broaden their understanding of how these things kind of all interplay. I still don't understand, like, you know, I don't know if, if anyone had the, you know, the perfect formula for how to solve for um, emissions and transportation, you know, that person would be, um, they'd be rich. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is true that we're all just, we're all seeing what, you know, what fits in the moment. Um, and it sounds like, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, that alternative fuels um, are one of the best alternative, like the best solutions we have on the table today. Um, I guess there's still the question of, is there enough supply? Um, but drop-in fuels seems to be a really good low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably do several shows on all the different alternatives coming up. I mean, that was where I, I left and spent four months working at a power-to-liquid startup who was working on solving that problem, right? They've got funding, they're scaling, they had a big announcement this week at Climate Week, and that is a solution that's a true carbon-neutral solution, right? We're taking sunlight, converting it to hydrogen, adding captured carbon, and you've got a hydrocarbon drop-in that works in today's fuels. We're going to need that. But we're also going to need traditional biofuels and we're going to need electrification and we're going to need hydrogen to play some piece, whether that's in heating or whether that's in transport. The market will figure that out. But I'm encouraged because we continue to see capital flowing into this space. The markets have just <laughs> taken a turn over the last six months. Everybody's seen how we're struggling, what's happening with rates. It's not slowing down climate investing, which is really, really encouraging um, because in past, in past market downturns, we have not seen that same level of commitment coming from the financial sector. And I, I'm optimistic that um, on this show, we'll get to explore the different opportunities. We'll continue to bring people along on the education that you and I have both kind of been working in public to, to bring to our listeners. But I also want to take a step back to your point and say, let's get a little more holistic and let's even talk to some of the people who are being impacted by this, right? So I'm, I'm working on some future shows where we can start to get stories kind of from the ground, people who are dealing with changing environments or um, local issues that we want to bring to light that are related to supply chain, right? Because everything is supply chain, as we've all learned over the last two years. So uh, I know this is a bit of a different different show for us, a bit of a handoff show. Uh, wishing you well on a nodal and I'm going to have you back on for sure. Welcoming me back to hopefully not screw it up and drop the ball. Um, so listeners, if you were coming expecting something groundbreaking, you're not going to get it with. It's just me and Danny. We'll make sure we bring experts on in the future. And uh, would love to hear from anybody if you if you reach out to Danny not Danny if you reach out to me on LinkedIn happy to engage and start taking ideas for future show opportunities or guests. Any parting words, Danny, before before we send you off to only come back as guests? Um, sure, yeah, uh, yeah. The, I mean, the my my time digging in, um, like you said, there's a, there's a lot of I was always inspired. Right, someone would come on the show and they would talk about something that they were working on that they were super passionate about and, and how it fit into the the picture. And, and again, we, I think just un, realizing that there's a lot of tools out there for people to tap into. It's early still for people to understand what those things are. I think that's a lot of work that needs to be done on, uh, on the asset side and also on, on the shipper side, encouraging and making investments, making these things 
um, sending a price signal to the market so they can understand what kind of investments they need to make. I think at the end of the day, um, service providers are responding to shippers and what shippers want. And if shippers are vocal about what they want and if they're willing to put the money you know, in that statement and behind that statement um, and send a price signal to the market, that is really, I think, super important in this moment to understand because what I feel like I heard um, generally, like broadly speaking, at least in North America was um, it didn't feel like that price signal was there yet. Right. And, it, and it's hard, especially in this environment where um, LSPs are trying to just provide reliability of service and give, you know, good price for that service to think in this moment about uh, investing on trust me, right? Like, you and I, early on when we went down the the blockchain rabbit hole, came across a statement of um, a trustless, you know, society or environment or or or, or approach. Um, and I, the first time I heard it, I'm like, that sounds terrible. What a, what a terrible catchphrase. Um, and, and then unpacking it and uh, realizing, like, yeah, don't trust that I'm going to give you value for the investments that you're going to do in reducing emissions in your in your transportation. Um, I'm going to give you money. So you don't have to say, so I don't have to say, trust me, I'm going to show you, right? Like upfront. Um, and I think right now that up, that upfront signal is needed, right? And people, the shippers who, who hope, you know, not everyone's doing great, but have the, have the capital in most cases to, to make that, send that kind of signal. I think that is the call to the market. Um, start, start the market signal process. We're a market, right? We, we, we respond to money because at the end of the day, we're running businesses. Yeah, that's a great, great way to end it. And especially with you heading back to a market exchange where price signal is what's going to determine how, how money flows and what solutions get implemented. Um, thank you. I totally agree. I totally agree. I look forward to seeing shippers continue to collaborate and send those price signals in the market to respond and deliver the solutions that the planet needs. So I think that's a great place to end it and uh, would love to have you back on anytime you're willing or free to spend 30 minutes to just chat with me about a fun issue. I've enjoyed it, Danny. Likewise, man. Appreciate you. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. 